HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Oh, I like the way you do. Whoa, the way you took it so slow. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and welcome to the summer season at Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we're so excited to be back. I'm really excited to be back with a great guest, way to start out the season. Um, it is none other than Virginia Willis. She is the James Beard Award-winning cookbook author of five cookbooks, um, one of them being Lighten Up, Y'all. She is nothing short of a Southern food expert. She has a column called... Uh, Cooking with Virginia. She's the editor-at-large for Southern Southern Living. And she's been featured in Country Living, House Beautiful, USA Today. She also has a PBS series, Secrets of the Southern Table. But the cookbook we are going to talk about is her latest. Um, it is called Secrets of the Southern Table, A Food Lover's Tour of the Global South. Hi, Virginia. Hey, thank you so much for having me here today. Well, thank you so much for making it um, from all the way up from Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. That's right. And where it's beautiful and sunny and much more s- summer-like. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, so this cookbook is uh, its a beautiful book, and it's at once a really deeply heartfelt and personal story about your Southern table, you know, starting from when you're a little kid in your grandmother's right. sink, watching her snap beans or something right. in the sink. Um, but it's also, um, it takes in a vast sort of sweeping narrative about the historical, environmental, and social context of Southern cuisine. Um, how do you think this book differs from your other work the most? This, this book is quite different from my other cookbooks. So first of all, each chapter has a, a couple of stories um, about a harvester, a farmer, a maker. So it's not just my stories. I was doing a bit more journalism, mm-hmm. truly. 
Um, I spend a lot of time outside the South and I travel a lot. Used to live in New York, I've lived, you know, all over. And it's just sort of burbled up in me uh, a couple years ago that people from outside the South, mm-hmm. I don't think they really understand the South. They don't understand um, our dynamics. Um, the f- food is so incredibly important and food is important everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think that you know, there's this perception that Southern food is all fried chicken and mm-hmm. one dimensional, fried, 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 very one dimensional. And, and we're a cuisine of vegetables. We have a 12 month growing season. And so it's jealous. Just, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's something coming off a tree or out of the ground nearly 12 months out of the year. And so that's something that sort of started with lighten up y'all. And then mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm sort of digging deeper on that. Got it. Um, I've never seen a Southern cookbook, though, that had recipes for Chinese stir-fry and uh, char siu pork tenderloin, Mississippi-style, that is. So, for Uh, example, (laughs) so so there have been Chinese living in Mississippi since the Civil War. I mean, I think that there's this sort of automatic narrative that people think, people from outside the South think that the South is only black and only white. Mm -hmm. And it's just simply not true. I mean, I've, I've literally been asked... And I write about this in my introduction. I was literally asked if I'd ever met a Jewish person before. <laughs> At some conference. That's yeah. crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the oldest synagogues is in Charleston, in the whole entire country, is in Charleston, South Carolina. So there's this sort of, it, it, it is part of the story, but it's not the only part of the mm-hmm. story. So, for example, when slavery ended in the, in the, at the, with the Civil War, uh, Chinese immigrated to Mississippi, and they were meant to replace the slaves for picking cotton. Well, it's terrible work, and it didn't work out. Um, and But they stayed. So there's been this huge population of, of Missis- in Mississippi of Chinese. Also, there used to be a direct route from Sicily to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we think about New York City as being this huge Italian-American population, and it is. But at one time in the 1800s, there were more Italians in New Orleans than in New York. So that's influenced then, the local foodways as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then they, you write about how, you know, there's this one of the oldest Chinese grocery stores right. in Mississippi. And yeah. um, I was recently in New Orleans and there was a Lucky was Central Market, which mm-hmm. is the Italian, old Italian grocery store. So there, that's infused into the culture and the cuisine there, like yes. the of sandwich. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and New Orleans barbecue shrimp is essentially shrimp scampi. You know, ah. it's like, huh. so... Um, so there are all these. So there's there's older parts of immigration to the South, and then now the Southeast is one of the fastest growing regions for Hispanics coming into the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, there are more Vietnamese in Texas than any other part of the United States except wow. for California. So that's not fried chicken, yeah. right? And right. so that obviously, you know, that's my South too, and that's mm-hmm. what I want to share with people that. You know, people see things on, I think, on the media or, you know, just see that sort of typical caricature. And it's just really, it's just not that simple. Right. Not that one dimensional. Right. But you, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's not a black and white situation, but there has been much tension. Definitely. And you do not shy away from describing that in this book. Um, you know, from an early age, you, you noticed racial tensions yeah. and they continue. Um, you write in the introduction that, and I want to quote this, so 
one second. You write, um, you know, I don't know what it feels like to grow up as a person of color or someone of Jewish, Muslim, or Hindu faith in the deep South. All I know now is that I feel I need to do what I need to do to bridge that gap, make that wrong right, and unlock the barriers that I can. I feel very strongly about that. I don't know what it's like to be a person of color. I am a woman, therefore there's something there. And then I'm an an open lesbian, so I have some discrimination factors. But there's no doubt that as a white woman, I experience a certain amount of white privilege. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it's like to be a person of color in the South or, or... or anywhere, mm-hmm. right? And But I do feel very strongly, and I think that, you know, food is what brings us together, and it, mm-hmm. it, I don't mean to trivialize it by introducing yeah. food into the situation. I feel like that that's the place that we can come together, is at the table. Um, and I just feel really strongly that I need to do what I can to help yeah. the world be a better place. Right. And this book is a really big-hearted, inclusive, um, you know, uh, homage to so many of these immigrants that you mentioned. Right. Um, but how else does it manifest in your work, you think, that, you know, doing what you can to make things right? Well, um, uh, for example, I hosted a dinner in Atlanta at the Atlanta History Center this past fall. And I, we didn't make a big deal out of it, but we, I used, it was only women. Mm-hmm. All the chefs were women, the mixologists were women, the farmers were women. That's so cool. We didn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. We didn't announce it. We didn't put it in the press release. We just did it. Uh-huh. And I very specifically, intentionally included um, a diversity of races, a diversity of ages. And I, I just feel like that that's something, you know, it's, it's so the political environment is so divisive now. Mm-hmm. So whatever I can do to put someone like that on stage with me mm-hmm. or on a platform with me, I, I think is the just the right thing to do. That's awesome. And how do you think that this book, what do you hope to get from this book? Um, you know, I, I think we're jumping a little bit because yeah. I, I want to talk more about some of the recipes. Right. But do you hope that people, in addition to mastering this fried okra recipe that is so beautiful on yeah. the cover and, you know, and so forth, will sort of kind of um, uh, pick up a, a different sense of what Southern cooking is? I, I hope so. I really do. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I love fried chicken. Mm-hmm. I love biscuits. I love cornbread. I love all the traditional foods. Um, I feel like that there's a responsibility I have as a cook and a writer and a chef to um, to herald those foods. Those, mm-hmm. are the, those are the foods of my people. And yet, and I've said this many times, it's not as simple as, it's just, it's just not that simple and that if we were to view Southern food as only that, that would be like viewing Italian food as only spaghetti and meatballs. Right. Or Mexican food as only a burrito. Um, and I hope that people, I, I just really, I love the South. I love being from the South. I'm a proud Georgian. My family has been in the South since the 1700s. I mean, and I just want people to understand and to listen. Yeah. And to see that some of those awful, ugly caricatures that people see on television or the nightly news, it's not everybody. Right. Right. Uh, I got to ask, when people think of Southern cooking, maybe a lot of people think of Paula Deen. Right. Um, What do you think of her influence and authority as a spokesperson for Southern cooking? So I was a guest on Paula's show, and she was kind to me. Um, It's television, right? Yeah. It's television. So it's, it's... 
Um, I, I, I would not go so far as to call her a caricature, mm-hmm. but it is a television show. It is not mm-hmm. reality. Right. Right. And she has a purpose and, there. Yeah. yeah. And so she, and she's a, she is authentically a Southern person, but I do also feel like that some of all of that, you know, all the y'all is just turned <laughs> up a bit. Yeah. You know, Got it's it. no, it's, it's TV, right? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily real life. Um, and then, you know, the butter, 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 that that's kind of became like shtick, right? Right. So it was a, yeah, it got, a, you know, it was intertwined a thing. With right. Southern cuisine to and some extent. The, and butter isn't really, I mean, if you want to talk about a real Southern fat, it would be lard. It wouldn't be butter. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, right. you know, lard is the, is the, is the, um, would have been the fat of the South. So, um, and I, I do feel, I mean, it, it got complicated, but, you know, with with her reaction with the the diet and the diabetes, and then the the ugly language, I mean, that's just it was a caricature that was created, and yeah. it also sort of ended it. Yes. At the same time. Yeah. So there are there are more real and authentic voices out there. Got it. And I strive to be one of them. Awesome. Um, we're going to talk a lot more about these delicious recipes uh, right after a quick little commercial break. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. All right, and we're back chatting more with Virginia Willis. Her new book is Secrets of the Southern Table. She is sharing some secrets of the Southern Table. Um, One of them I was really fascinated by is the sort of like relics of the past Mm -hmm. and these ingredients that you picked up and and discuss like Benny seeds, mm-hmm. which is similar to sesame seed, but it's an heirloom. Tell yes. me more. So um, there's a fantastic company. It's called Anson Mills mm-hmm. that you may be aware I've seen, of. I've had their grits. So yeah. um, Glenn Roberts is one of the stories in the book. It's uh, So the book, I, I feature two different stories about an artisan, a maker, a harvester. So Anson Mills and Glenn, uh, under the leadership of Glenn, is bringing back all these heirloom Grains, grains and seeds yeah. and such. And so he's very famous for the grits. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also bringing back uh, uh, Carolina gold rice and Benny seeds. So industrial agriculture essentially after World War II um, became all about production mm-hmm. and not necessarily quality. Or diversity of Or diversity, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was all about like how fast can we grow those tomatoes? How big can those tomatoes get? How quickly can they get that way? And if you take that and you just apply it to pretty much everything, mm-hmm. Benny seeds or rice or tomatoes or chickens or anything, that's sort of what happened to American agriculture after World War II. And there's a movement, not only in the South, I think across the entire United States, where people are like, whoa, so that doesn't taste good? Why do we want to eat it? 
And it's also, I think, damaging in terms of a lack of diversity for seeds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people are working to bring back different heirloom things. This is a fascinating story, too, because these heirloom seeds came from Africa. They were, you know, consumed by enslaved Africans at the time who saved the seeds. And um, they're sort of used in all parts. Like, yeah. so that they... The, the seeds can be in the, they can be pressed for oil and they can eat the greens. Yes. So uh, you have a recipe here that uses the seeds much like sort of sesame seeds. Yes, yes, yes. It's, I mean, they yeah. are essentially sesame seeds. It's just mm-hmm. called binny. So, um, and it's, it's been wonderful. There's these uh, lovely binny seed wafers that are famous in Charleston. It's like a little cookie. Ah. Um, you know, but I think that um, they they do taste different. You know, they're yeah. they're hugely important, like in Japanese cuisine, for example. But they're the they're very right. much a part of Southern. I traditional. didn't know that. That's just so cool. Um, so, what other ingredients do you think uh, would you have le- loved to include, but like couldn't? I don't know for some reason. Are there anything like that? Um, well, no. I mean, I, you know, as I mentioned accessible. earlier, um, there's something growing. I mean, I think one of the most important vegetables. For Southern cooking is okra. Mm-hmm. Okay, so okra is, a, is also was originally West African or African. Mm-hmm. Rice, uh, yes. you know, rice is hugely important in Southern food and cuisine. And collard greens, mm-hmm. I love collard greens. I, I could eat them every day, you know. But all of those things are steeped mm. in, in Southern food and history. Yeah. Um, you don't shy away also from describing a very changed landscape mm-hmm. in the South. Um, you have this... Um, description of driving through uh, mostly like a ghost town, it sounds like, yeah. that was once a bustling agrarian community right. of farmers. And, you know, the South has been an agrarian society mm-hmm. forever. And you write how it was changed pretty much by industrial agriculture. Yeah. So it's, I was a history major once upon a time. I'm like a recovering history major. So um, <laughs> when. And during World War II, there was this enormous production of nitrogen that was used for um, ammunitions. Mm-hmm. And then after World War II, there was all this nitrogen. Well, nitrogen is essential for as it can be used as a fertilizer. Yeah. So that's when things really started to shift. Right. Um, not just in the South, but across the entire United States. And that's when we started more about production and less about quality. Um, and so growing up in the South, like I saw these little ghost towns, the mm-hmm. closed shops and things like that. And, and it was only fairly recently that I understood how that happened. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because people had opportunity and moved to the city. It was because the way that farming changed and it quit being this, it quit being like a, um, a, a community, right. you know, uh, with a tractor and the tools, a seed you know, store and yeah, so all forth. that, it's yeah. gone, you know, mm-hmm. and so the, the seed is ordered from somewhere out in mm-hmm. the Midwest and shipped and, you know, you don't have to, there's, there's not a, a mule or horses and a, and a, it's this industrial, I mean, the, the tractor is falling just, apart. Yeah, exactly. It's torn. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, instead of having jobs in the agriculture, they had to move there were, mm-hmm. because there was no work. Um, and, and that's essentially what happened. And I, I, I think it's changing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's with changing. these stories that you tell, it's, it sounds very promising and it sounds yeah. a, a very yeah powerful stories that you share. Um, uh, you know, folks that are trying to, you know, go against the grain and go against all odds right. to restart an organic farm or something like that, um, reclaiming that heritage. But um, you write that, you know, these 
these cheap foods mm-hmm. that we sort of traded these old way of life for, um, you know, it's artificially cheap foods, right. you know, because somebody's paying for it. You're right. No, it's exactly. <laughs> My friend, um, he's the, the fifth generation farmer. His name is Will Harris of White Oak Pastures. And he makes me sound like I'm not Southern at all. His accent's incredible. He's like, <laughs> uh, Virginia, chickens are meant to hunt and peck. <laughs> Cows were meant to chew. Um, but he, he, he has told me more than one occasion, like n- nature abhors a monoculture. Uh-huh. And that's what a lot of yeah. American agriculture is. It's like a farmer grows soybeans and that's it. Right. But that, that doesn't work, right? Because it just strips the soil. and You have to keep adding stuff. Exactly. You yeah. just have to keep adding stuff. So you write, you know, we're paying for it in some other way. If it's not at the grocery store for the cheap chicken or whatever it is. Um, do you think that the South is disproportionately affected because of its, you know, long farming heritage? Well, it may be. And then there's, a, there's also an, another part of it that I think that can't be ignored is the fact that um, it's a lack of education. Mm-hmm. And the South has always been a poor society since the very beginning, Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been agricultural. It's never been industrial. I mean, if you think back to middle, you know, middle school and, and um, learning American history, you know, I remember being taught that the there was more industry in the North, and that had everything to do with why the North won the Civil War. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a lack of education. Mm-hmm. I think um, the South has been disproportionately affected. It's a lack of education, and it's also poverty. There's still yeah. a lot of really extreme poverty throughout the South. Yeah. I mean, I'm learning so much from this book. I Thank mean, you all the so stories much. that you share. Um, I'm also, you know, opening my eyes to uh, the just all the broad influence that you, influences that you bring into this book. Um, you know, roasted leg of lamb with Mediterranean spices. I never saw lamb you know from southern cooking so yeah no so it's not it's it's not a super popular meat but there's Mm -hmm. a huge greek population in birmingham alabama greek yeah yeah so and it's uh and then you have you know cuban style pork chops Mm -hmm. with moho sauce Uh um and then you know just great you know everyday southern recipes like rainy day ribs yes so it's a quick version those are fantastic it's actually not quick it's uh, low and slow so it's like 300 um degrees for a couple hours and they wind up being like just really succulent and tender um with a spice rub so it's like you can have ribs without um you know putting them on the grill outside so this is like classics but with a global or with actually a modern view of the social So, I mean, you know, even if you do define, as I've said before, uh, Southern food is fried chicken, well, people don't eat that every day, right? Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, like someone asking me if I've ever met a Jewish person, like, you know, we have have the internet in the South. We have, I mean, it's, (laughs) there's this sort of, um, so there's there's all sorts of different things. I mean, there's this tremendous Korean population in Atlanta. Right. There's incredible Korean barbecue in Atlanta. And, and a Hmong community, yes, too, that yes, you wrote about? Uh-huh, in North Carolina. Uh, tell me about this glimpse of uh, a critter boil that you went to that um, somebody was like, oh, do you mean the Asian place? Or Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was my dear friend um, Amy Cameron Evans, who used to be a, a, a oral historian for the Southern Foodways Alliance. And I teach at Central Market in Texas. Um, they're cooking schools. And I texted her because I was going to be in Houston. And Houston um, is is actually in the Bayou area. People don't think of Bayou in Texas. But mm-hmm. 
Eastern Texas is very similar to Louisiana. Got it. Okay. So I texted her. I wanted to eat crawfish when I was in Houston. And she texted me back, Asian or Cajun. And I was like, I mean, boom, mind blown. What? How about Asian? I know, exactly. <laughs> and so um, what they the, the the there's a huge, huge population of Vietnamese all along the coast mm-hmm. of the Gulf Coast. And so what they did was they there's a crawfish boil, like mud bugs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, crayfish. And traditionally that would be with like Asian, uh, Cajun spices, thyme and paprika and cayenne and mm-hmm. hot and spicy. Well, they take that and then on top of it, it's garlic and lemongrass and ginger. Oh, and wow. it is incredible, like absolutely delicious. And that's actually where when we were eating those crawfish and I'm like butter running down my arms and I'm looking around and you know the table on the left there's like some black ladies from church and that table over there there was uh, some cowboys <laughs> and that table over there there were some roughnecks from the oil fields and I looked around and there's like the it's like the UN right yeah. there's like a little bit of everybody and I literally realized at that moment peeling those crawfish and eating the crawfish that that's the south mm-hmm. that's the south too and this is my south and this is what I want to share with people it's beautiful. And it sounds delicious, too. I mean, you, you, you never knew you could um, improve upon crawfish, right? right? right. Until you add that lemongrass. That's just, wow, that sounds amazing. They're so good. Um, wow. I think that's about all the time we have for today. But Virginia, thank you so much oh, for gosh, sharing. Oh, gosh, Thank you so much for having me. These stories are just gems. I hope everyone gets their hands on this book. It's right. It's just out right now. Um, and uh, Secrets of the Southern Table. Yep. And Virginia, we'll be seeing more of you on your TV show, too. Yes, we're working on that. We're definitely working on that. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, you can follow Virginia at Twitter and Instagram, and you have a website. Yep, virginiawillis.com. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much again, Virginia. Bon appetit, y'all. All All (laughs) right. Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.